<laughs> We're already laughing. This is okay. so good. <laughs> Welcome to the Sacramental Charismatic Podcast. Uh, and I'm Luke Gerdy. I am a host. Um, and uh, super, 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 super awake now because I've had some coffee. Uh, and I want to let all my listeners know that having your own espresso machine with Milk Foamer is the way of the kingdom. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm good to go on that, but I'm, uh, I'm excited about today's conversation because I have Edgar King, who is a renowned African, African leader in the vineyard. He is in Kenya. Um, he is a dangerous motorcycle driver, but he also is a very, very good turtle tortoise owner and taker care of. I've seen it. I have video to prove it. Uh, but Edgar is a, is a vineyard pastor and a worship leader. Uh, and then I'm also uh, joined by Ramon. And Ramon's been on this podcast before. Actually, both of you guys have been. Uh, but Ramon is a great thinker. Uh, he's served in a lot of different roles. Um, I always say he's a church planner. He says he was part of a church planning team. <laughs> he's, he's, he's done a lot of things in the vineyard as well. But hey, guys, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Luke. Thanks, Luke. Good to have you. Don't get yeah, me into so, trouble with the wildlife authority here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't be announcing everything in my backyard. <laughs> I'm like, hey, let me tell you what's in his backyard. Uh, no, Ed- Edgar, uh, when, I, when we were over there, I don't know if we talked about this on the last podcast, but I was in your, I was in the backyard of the place you're stay, uh, that you stay. Uh, we were staying there, too, with this trip I was doing. And uh, I saw these, like, monstrous tortoises, and I was like – that's the coolest thing ever. And then Edgar introduced me to grabbing them and holding them. And we were carrying them all around the yard and getting video footage. So we got our own Edgar. I don't know if I told you that we got our own, our own tortoise yeah, here. Did. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm an inspiration. <laughs> you are. I, I decided to never, ever get on a motorcycle again. You inspired me to do that. And then secondarily, you inspired me to get a tortoise. So wait, 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 wait. You were riding on the motorcycle, like on the back of the motorcycle with Edgar driving. Yeah, there's, there's a term for that in America, but I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna say what I was doing. I'm just trying to imagine it. <laughs> like, if I recall, if I recall, Edgar. Yeah, Edgar was was driving, and I was holding on for dear life. And then everybody we were passing were saying, "Hey, Mazungu." <laughs> <laughs> it's a it was a lesson in faith you know <laughs> also here's a, here's a funny thing so uh i i am a very careful rider very very careful but everyone else doesn't think so so one day I'm, I'm, uh, i was we were riding from a a work lunch and i carried a friend and she got off the motorcycle and my brother looked at her and said uh, he, he, uh, he hadn't seen us drive it right in. And he said, are you from Edgar's bike? And she goes, yes, I can see. That's why you're trembling. Like everybody has this untrue stories about anyway, but I am in one piece. <laughs> 
I, I hope that uh, if there's any way that we, this podcast can be influential at all, uh, it would be hilarious if at some vineyard national conference someone walks up to you and says, hey, you're the motorcycle man. <laughs> that would be motorcycle <laughs> man. Yeah, that would make me so or, happy. Or if they ask me, I, 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 I'm sure this doesn't happen anymore. But, you know, when, when someone would ask you, how did you get here? Did you use that motorcycle? Like, <laughs> anyway. <so. laughs> oh wow! So, uh, you guys, it's uh, we're we're ending. We're getting close to the end of the month of February, and um, you know, the podcast has been primarily focused on exposing um, people <laughs> listeners to uh, to not just Black History Month, but to Black voices. And um, I, I really was uh, inspired by Ramon. Um, we were talking about having you on, Ramon, right? And then it was like, hey, that'd be great for Black History Month. And I was like, oh, that's great, especially given the topic of your book, which we're going to talk about that, I'm sure, at some point. Um, but uh, it's been really fun. And I, gosh, I've had um, uh, some really powerful conversations with, uh, with some African-American voices. And then, Edgar, you were on as an African voice. And it got me thinking, uh, and I was—I I think R Ramon and I were talking about this uh, off of off of our last podcast about how it would be interesting to have uh, Edgar as well as Ramon, or or you know, just a, an African American along with a, an Amer uh, an African voice to talk a little bit more about um, whatever comes up. I think you know, ethnic diversity, um, Edgar. I've been to your church. Uh, I, I've seen it. You know, it's a very, it is a, it is a global um, church, but I also, so you have a little bit of, of every, everybody is in your church in Nakuru. You know, it's not just like your, your traditional uh, Kenyan, um, I guess, small, you know, ch uh, church in a village uh, that's very encompassed with the African culture. It has African culture alongside kind of a global uh, perspective and Ramon, you know, I've been to your church too. Same thing, very focused on um, ethnic diversity and cultural representation, and it's just really beautiful. So, um, but I want to talk about uh, some of the unique dynamics uh, that exist between Africans from Africa who live in Africa, who may travel to the to the United States, and then African Americans, because I, I know that there are dynamics at work there, uh, and that's come up in most of the podcasts I've I've talked uh, with people, um, you know, off off the uh, podcast recording. We've just been conversating about the differences that exist culturally, and so um, I don't know, like uh, Edgar, you know, if you wouldn't mind, like from your perspective, you've come to the U.S. Your brother lives here. What's your observation? And then uh, maybe Ramon, you can jump in and correct everything Edgar says. <laughs> I don't know if I can correct Edgar. That's <laughs> that's your primary job. <laughs> that's, that's why we have you here. Oh, <laughs> set me straight. Um, well, uh, what I, I just I, I don't want to forget this. I, I really like. Uh, I just uh, something Ramon said on 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 the podcast you had. Uh, the you know diversity isn't isn't this new goal we're we're going for. It's it's always been you know one of God's gifts. It's 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 His idea. It started long ago, and and so I 
I enjoy that about um, uh, about the the church community I, I get to be part of, and you know, um, and so the interesting thing I notice then when when I travel is because uh, because there's a lot of I- immigration happening. So I, I I I've noticed that when 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 white Americans come to to Africa, or really just Caucasians, they're called expats, and then, mm-hmm. and then, if I came to work in the U.S., I'd still be called an immigrant. So I find that a little, you know, a weird political thing. Anyway, so I try use the word immigrant both ways, uh, but anyway, so there's a lot of immigration happening from the third, what's called the third world, into into the West. So even, even, sorry, <laughs> the two thirds world, two thirds. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, majority. <laughs> the majority. The majority. <laughs> no, I, think that's, <laughs> I think that's an important distinction, though. You know, like you, yeah. the terms that used to be used to describe the global South or Asia. Uh, I, I think it's so. I just saw this somewhere that the if you were looking for the common average. Uh, Christian in the world, it would be like an Asian woman. Like that's yeah. there's more Asian women that are Christians than any other demographic in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so even uh, the mission of the church is is moving in that direction because mm-hmm. if if the majority world is now more uh, has more believers and they are mostly moving into the West for economic reasons and all that. Then they're bringing that, you know, they're, they're bringing their, their their faith with them, uh, and their culture and everything. Uh, but one thing I noticed is is African uh, African immigrants in the West will will find themselves will go to a, a predominantly African church, and even more so, you know, East Africans and then West Africans, and um, <laughs> and even uh, from conversations with my own brother, it's like. There's, there's this weird tension between uh, Af- African immigrants and African-Americans in, in the case of, of the, the U.S. Um, a friend of mine who is, who, is, who is 38 and should not be on TikTok, but still is, uh, was, <laughs> was going through TikTok and, and found this uh, African-European uh, talking about just how hard she finds it coming to Africa. It's like, we, we want to feel at home. This, this is where we are from. This is our heritage. Yet when we come uh, to Africa, there's this distance. So, so it's weird that there's a bit of tension when Africans move to the West between Africans born there and that's their home. And when Africans of the West come to Africa, it's like, whoa, I, you know, so that's that's interesting. Even in in uh, in a desire to 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 empower a, a culture that's uh, a people that's the, whose voice has often been taken away. That's interesting. An interesting dynamic to even go. Okay, well, even within that, uh, what's happened to to draw them farther apart? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think. Uh... Like Edgar said, there's a there is a real tension there, um, and I think it has to do with the fact that 
you know, with, you know, African-Americans, we kind of, you know, once we got off the slave ship, tribalism was gone. It's just like, we're all here, we're suffering together. Um, and so that that blend of people have become now African-Americans. Yeah. Like, it's not about language, culture, it's more about your skin color and the yeah. shared history. Um, whereas if you're coming as an African immigrant, um, and Edgar, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you're looking for the folks who speak your language, who know your practices and customs. Um, it's, it's different. So you got this group who they, you know, have this shared history of suffering in America because of skin color. And then you got this other group who's coming because of, you know, economic reasons or political reasons, yeah. whatever, yeah. who share yeah. more than just skin color, you know, yeah. language. There's this cultural tradition. And so it's like, hey, you're black too. No, we're not black like you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what you get. <laughs> yeah. I thought we all black. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that reminds me of... Uh, when I when I was uh, when I went to Kenya for the first time, uh, like two thousand maybe two thousand nine two thousand ten, um, uh, we were working with uh, with a, just a dear man, um, Ben Bahadi, Bishop Ben Bahadi, who sadly passed away. But he's a Kenyan guy. Plant. I mean, I think he planted like seventy plus churches, uh, a lot of influence in Kenya. He was really uh, his his their music is still like it was always on the TV station when we were there. It was like all all the their mm -hmm. music and. And I was asking them about about that in Africa. I was like, "Hey, so you know, in the U.S., there are these dynamics between in in African American circles. There's dynamics at times between light skinned African Americans and darker skinned African Americans. And there's especially right now. I think that's been a big conversation um, in certain circles of the hip hop world. You know, about um, people who are light have lighter skin or trying to get lighter skin versus uh, people who aren't right. That's a conversation maybe we can talk about a little bit but so i asked ben i was like so uh in kenya is there uh is there are there differences just between the different uh you know shades oh. or pigment? yeah oh, like yeah. darker well this is what he said he he said um we were at naku mart first of all which is like uh like the i always describe it as the kenyan walmart because it has everything yeah and uh, and so we're there, and um, and he was like explaining to me how it's a lot of it's based more on tribes, in which I've come to know. You know, there's there's what forty two tribes, Edgar. Is that accurate? Yeah. And, and so there's all these different tribes, and um, and there's all these you know various cultural and language differences. And he said, so a lot of the time, it's not really based off of skin uh, tone as much as it is more about the tribes and what whatnot. And right at that moment, this, uh, this guy came around the corner who based off of outward appearance, looked like he was from Sudan. Very, 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 very dark skin. And, um, and so Ben was like, yeah, there's not a lot of issues between, you know, darker skin or light skin as much as other places, but He's black. He's very black. <laughs> and I and I wonder. I I I, I think Ramon uh, mentioned this on 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 the last podcast. Just about about the the weird narrative the world has been on that kind of has has a cascade of you know from white all the way to mm -hmm. white being better than down 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 so even among among africans because in in kenya uh 
there, there, well, I, I think, I don't know if it's the same among blacks in the US, but there, there is sometimes a, a subconscious preference for, well, I'm black, but I'm not that black. And I'm, you know, <clears throat> I, I, I rarely share this story, but in high school, I, well, so I'm, I'm on the darker side of, 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 of Kenyans. Uh, and so in high school, I got teased about that a lot. I actually <clears throat> went for therapy a bit. It's like, which it's, it's funny. My, 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 my teacher was, she was actually just performing an experiment. She wanted, she wanted a degree <laughs> and she asked me, you know, do you have any issues you want to talk about? Let's talk about how I feel when everybody calls me Sudanese or whatever. Um, and, and she just asked me one question and, and, and what's wrong with that? And, it was in that moment that my eyes opened and like, oh, actually they are people too. And I didn't realize just how long that narrative of, well, the, the lighter you are, even if, if you cannot be white, <laughs> just be a little lighter skinned, you know? And, and, and sadly it's, uh, it's, 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 it's still at play. And, and I think, I think that's why, so uh, uh, two, two months ago, or some, sometime in 2020, uh, there was this image of a, a recreation of the, 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 the face of Jesus who was doing rounds in, on, online. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I shared it with some friends and, 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 and one just was like, this one looks like a terrorist. <laughs> I'm like, what? It's so it's so sad that what narratives we've told, you yeah. know, but even what could possibly have been the recreation of the face of our Lord. Someone goes, oh no, this one looks like a terrorist. I'm like, whoa. And yeah. uh, uh, and one person said, hey, you know, it shouldn't matter what 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 uh, uh, complexion Jesus was. And and I and it saddens me that we don't realize how how important narratives are because for for a, for people who who who've lived under the narrative that they aren't any good being told that actually you know the reality cuz you know the reality of what jesus looked like is this could have been it 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 immediately restores just dignity and and identity and and all that stuff and so i think and i think you know uh, as as believers as church leaders we should be careful about those narratives we tell and mm -hmm. and sometimes we're oblivious of them you know um but yeah sorry i just went on a rant <laughs> no this is good man it's it's something that i mean people kind of pass over and i think yeah. You know, if, if you, you know, if you're black, you can't pass it over because it affects your life. You know, <laughs> it's like this is this is directly affecting my self-esteem, yeah. um, how I view Jesus, how I view the disorder, how I view yeah. all of this stuff um, because of the narrative that's been told. Like yeah. growing up, I remember looking at the Ten Commandments and it's like, huh, so 
Charlton Heston is Moses. Neil <laughs> <laughs> Brenner is the Pharaoh. Yeah. Wasn't Egypt in Africa? And <laughs> I went back to look at the movie and I'm like, wait a minute. So there are black people there, but they're the slaves. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. there's an implicit, there's an implicit thing going on in that movie. Having watched it, I think maybe more aware of some of the the cultural demons at that time. It's like, huh, I think you're right, Ramon. It's like, huh, yeah. So it's like when you when you're reading the Bible, how are you picturing? It? Yeah, it's just like like what I talk about in my book. When you say Saint Augustine, who do you see? Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and you know. Ramon, I, I was listening to you say that, and and I I don't. Sometimes I don't think people uh, realize how powerful that is. But if you think about how I pictured it as you were talking, is there's <laughs> there's a song that I always saw uh, sang the wrong lyrics to, and it's stuck. And uh, so, thank God for Apple Music. Well, they're doing other things, but you know, one thing they, they're doing good is I, I have lyrics to the songs I'm trying to sing. So two weeks ago, I finally saw what the lyrics say, but I still can't get it out of my head because mm. that's the image that's been burnt. So it's uh, hope, hopeful twister and, and some guy, uh, so some lady. So they're saying, just be hopeful. Yes, because oh, I'm hopeful. Yes, I am hopeful for today. Take this music and use it. Let it take you. Then they get to this place, she says, and I know it ain't easy. But growing up as a pastor's kid, I always sang, uh, and I know he is able, you know, because it had to be something about God. It was all about hope. So that's <laughs> not a terrible example, but I still, it gets to that song and I still sing the wrong lyrics because that's what's um, burnt in my yeah. uh, psyche. So it's the same thing. If, if, if we tell the wrong narrative for too long, then people close their eyes and see Jesus with, with hair like Luke's and, and less <laughs> like, less like mine, you know? Uh, yeah. That's, uh, people. I mean, that ain't bad though. <laughs> two points for ramon just to say that i mean you're i think that that's the what what i really appreciate about um i mean I, it, like this whole month of having conversations very directed that's what i would say because it's not like i mean ramon and i text you know we text a fair amount we talk um you know not every day but i mean i i have a lot of african americans in my life that I, that I, um, have relationship with and I talk with and Edgar, we, you know, we, uh, converse on a fairly base, you know, regular level. And, um, but I, but I haven't spent like a whole month where like, I would say the bulk of my focus this last month has been on African-American studies, African-American, um, history and just really, and then Ramon's book, um, reclaiming diversities, which everybody needs to pick up a copy of that book. It's really, really good. Um, one thing that has been like, I think fascinating to me is something you Ramon, you just said is that like, it's easy for people who haven't, or who are not experiencing certain challenges, oppressions, obstacles, whatever you want to call 
whatever it is, it's easy to like ignore that or to be unaware of it and to not have to deal with it. You know, that's where people will talk about like white privilege or, you know, the, the, I don't have to go through certain situations because of the color of my skin. <clears throat> so it's easy to, uh, to ignore it or to not be aware of it. But like you're saying, when you are constantly confronted with that as a reality, <clears throat> it's, it's a little bit different. And um, because it's like you were saying, Edgar, I think it's interesting. It's interesting how, why do the Sudanese people become the enemy in that, in that narrative? Right. And I know that there's these dynamics between the different, different countries that go back in, in every continent has that, right. There's always stories that go back for generations, um, that cause us to look down upon, upon other people. It reminds me a lot of, uh, so you both know I fly fish a lot. I love fly fishing and fly fishing is like its own, you know, its own subculture of fishing. So like you have people that use a different style of fishing uh, than fly fishing. And so fly, my observation is that fly fishermen are always talking about badly about all the other fishermen. And every time I've gone with other fishermen, they talk bad about fly fishermen. Like it's just what we do. And I, and I've come to this conclusion that gang banging sets with fishermen. <laughs> yeah. Like, you said it. I like it. You said it. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, I, I've, what I've told people now is that I'm like, never underestimate how human nature will cause us to find a way to throw shade on another way of doing something. Yeah. Um, or, or, uh, I think if you, if you, back up and look at that with ethnic um, groups. It's like, we, we don't ever under, underestimate human nature to be able to find a way to look down upon other people. And that's why us needing to have these conversations, I think is really important because it helps um, Edgar, it helps us to identify those narratives that are controlling our biases and our um, interaction with other people and to, and to do what you were saying, like, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> like, why why is that that's not bad <laughs> yeah I, I i was in sudan once uh very quickly we had a uh, flat we flew there one time um and landed and i was like i would love to go to you know uh, the sudanese culture there's just certain things about uh, eastern africa and northern africa that are really fascinating to me um yeah so it is it is just interesting how we do that um but Edgar, you're you talked about how skin color does matter a little bit in uh, in Kenya, or it, would you say that that's true um, um, for every generation? Like, because you're you're a millennial, I believe, right? Is that you're twenty eight, thirty? You're fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. Luke. Yeah. Thirty. Yeah, you're thirty. So, um, but you experienced it in school where, yeah. where people were throwing shade, like, what do you think about maybe the people who are in school now? Do you think that is becoming less? Cause my observation on Kenya over the last 10 plus years of being there is that tribalism has progressively gotten better. And now, like when I first went over there, it was really not cool to, to um, date or marry somebody outside of your tribe. It was still like, it was talked about a lot. Whereas now it seems like it's less of a, an issue for our our generations i'm throwing myself with you okay i'm 42 but i'm gonna throw myself with the 30 year old i'm young so like what what do you think so dinosaurs like anyways (laughs) ouch that was raw that hurt okay i think i think africa will get over uh 
tribalism uh, faster than it gets over. Well, and anyway, so caveat there, there's a, there's a serious hu- human heart condition to always uh, find a way to other, you know, so it, it might not be, so tribalism is, is a human heart condition. We'll find some, you know, unless we're careful. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. as far as, as far as uh, tribal languages are concerned, I think Africa will get over that faster than it will um, uh, the, 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 the spectrum of complexion uh, thing. Mm. Uh, I, I know a friend who has twins uh, and one is a little lighter than the other and that's a problem. And and she's grieving about how, because it's one thing if, you know, if you're coming from a family like mine, we're all dark. So no one's, no one's coming home feeling like they were crowned or they were dethroned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But if it's one family and one's lighter than the other, and and this is the reality that they're facing, uh, that's hard for 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 a parent. Um, and yeah, so that's, and that I think that that says more. That says a lot about just again the, that that narrative thing we're talking about, just the global narrative that we've bought into, and. And in in that way, in that way, I, I like. In in a lot of ways, I see how, I see uh, some shared some shared, uh, suffering with with, you know, African Americans and and you know, uh, it, just in in those small pockets, you know, I, I. We didn't we didn't have that weird experience of slavery here in East Africa. Yet the, the, the uh, and the global narrative of of color affects me right here in 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 my mostly black country. That's, that's interesting. You say that it's a global narrative. I mean, you can hear this same story. Like he Edgar's from Kenya. You can hear it from a Brazilian, mm-hmm. from African American. I mean, just all over. It's just I've, I've seen it. Um, in Ethiopia, it's the colorism or however you want to call it, it, it affects everybody. And it's just part of that like white supremacist narrative. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean I do see where it's less, it's less of a problem even for African Americans, like my kids' generation. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not thinking about that. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that the folks you see on TV look different. You know, mm, yeah. So the, that's that's a positive influence. There, there's yeah. like that's changing. Yeah, that's yeah. You got like Peter Nyong'o and you know the mm. Williams sisters, the tennis folks. Yeah, I almost claim her to be, to be my relative, but I want to be careful. Um, I'll ask my mom about that. <laughs> I I think um you know one of the things about. And maybe that you know, to your point, Ramon, like why wh- another another reason why 
Black History Month matters, um, would, it would kind of dive into the issue of um, having people on the stage or on television or on radio or in music that are not just your typical white person or, you know, like, like I think the diversity thing um, is, is important. And I don't mean the diversity thing, like it's a sub, but like that is such an important issue because uh, we need to see, um, we need to see that it's okay or that it's, it's God, like there's beauty. Yeah. Yeah, Like I I think that what you're saying is important. Growing up, we had choices, right? What do you (laughs) do when you grow up? Well, we only thought about the choices left to us by what TV told us. Mm -hmm. And so my choice is growing up. It's like, Hey, you're a ball player, a rapper, Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Then yeah. here's the thing that people don't think about: a ball player, a rapper, a comedian, or a yeah. mm. because that's who we see on TV. If you yeah. know, if you notice, every time there's some kind of crime, um, even even if the perpetrator is white, they show a black person like, "Hey, ma'am, you were on the scene," and they they have. Yeah. Their hair is jacked up. They're coming out in the robe, hey, you know, and it just reinforces stereotypes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it connects. Like, even though a white person could have did the crime, it connects a black face yeah. with the crime. You, mm-hmm. you know, uh, something funny happened. Well, it's not funny. Sorry, I, I will use the word funny and interesting in all the wrong ways. So let me just say <laughs> funny- <laughs> that's why that Edgar, that's why I actually like having you on every podcast episode because it always makes me look like I'm not that bad. Like I'm not I'm not that socially awkward. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you need if you need someone else to make you feel not socially yeah. awkward. Yeah. So awkward. <laughs> only you, Edgar. Let's be very clear. It's only oh. you. <laughs> so, Keep going. Go yeah. ahead. Last summer, George Floyd is killed, and it—it—it mm-hmm. uh, it, it tore my heart in just weird ways. Uh, part, partly because I—I I have a nephew, so I've been stopped by police in Kenya, and I just ignored them. I, I hadn't done anything wrong. Like, no, I'm busy. I'm going home. Yes, it was late in the night. I am my country, and and last summer I wondered if my nephew can do the same and it just mm. it felt like a weight right and then uh, the protests break out and you know don't want to get into what one thinks about the protests and all that and 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 someone said to me we would you know the nation would listen if 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 they just stop rioting like what do you mean they it's like well it's only black people rioting and i'm going it depends on what it's it's what what you're saying ramon it's it's when when the narrative being put up front so i said no look at this video this is a a multi-colored riot look at who's breaking this window this is a white person equally mm-hmm. upset about what just happened but sadly there was a there was a TV station, news station that was putting a very wrong narrative, yeah. and I, I saw that, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a Kenyan. I like, of course, you care about what happens in the U.S., but at that moment, it, it felt like it's so. F- I could have wanted to think it's so far away, but I could tell mm. 
that the narrative was a problem because it made someone close to me falsely think that this is what it is, yeah. black rioting. And uh, oh, and just to, to move that a bit in a positive direction, or, uh, just an analogy. My middle name is is feminine from my people group, so that's another layer of problem uh, <laughs> I had growing up. I guess I guess when my teacher was doing uh, counseling on me and and she asked me that question and my problems were done. That was so bad because then she she had nothing else to go on. But I should have brought this one up. Like people tease me. Oh, I was named after my grandmother, a lovely lady. My parents hoped I would be a girl. God just, you know, flipped things on them. But they still decided to name me after my grandmother, which is odd in in a very masculine culture. So people would tease me. And what my mom did uh, one day, uh, one of our vice presidents shared a name with me. But it, it just didn't hit me. I was so mad. And my mom, people, you know, people who speak into your life, people who matter, because uh, it looked at me and said, do you realize that the vice president of this country shares a name with you? Mm. And that just changed everything. And I started using that name. So, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about what do you do when there's such a bad narrative that's been told over time? Yeah. Uh, we could we could waste and i know it's important to it's important to destroy that narrative to 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 point out that narrative mm-hmm. and I, and at the same time i think more energy should be used in telling the right narrative and and it's 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 it's, it's similar to what ramon is saying who are we putting up front mm-hmm. who, whose stories are we telling it's it's uh the, yeah, you can be a, a a a ball player. You can be, you can be Lupita Nyong'o too. You can be you can be president of the United States. If if we start change uh, uh, telling a better narrative, I think that the impact will be way better than spending a lot of energy, and that should be done trying to destroy a, you know a narrative without replacing it with with a better narrative. I think like what Edgar brought up just as far as, you know, he said somebody close to him said it's black people doing it all the way over in Kenya. Right. Like that kind of circling back to the tensions between Africans and African-Americans. A lot of times that narrative creates that tension. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, if African immigrants come in here, a lot of times, all they've seen of African Americans is what they've seen on TV. Like yeah. when the Ethiopia man, I got like all kinds of stuff. Like people coming up to me saying the N word to my face. Like it's cool, and I'm like, what is going on? Oh, you mean like Ethiopians? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, hey, we need it. Okay, I want to get into this. Okay, um, Ramon, like what? What? Because I know um, that that's like a uh, uh, an unwritten no-no <laughs> that non-African American Africans should not use that word. Is that well? So here's the thing: for different for different African Americans, it's different rules. There's no rule book, right? 
Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I retract, I retract the, I retract. Yeah. I retract that there's a monolithic African-American cultural, uh, but I, but I know the, all my friends growing up, like it was like, that's not cool. So flesh that out. Like, why is that? So, you know, I, you know, just, just for that particular incident, I took it as this is a kid. He's listening to so many, you know, notorious B.I.G. songs, whatever. And this is how you greet. You're African-American. This is how you greet each yeah. other. This is how yeah. I'm going to greet you. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, I got that constantly. Like, hey, mm. you know, just, you know, Tupac, what's up? You know, people call me <laughs> craziness. <laughs> but you're, I like how you're, by the way, you are dating your age right now by using Notorious B.I.G. and Tupac. <laughs> like that's the best. Hey, hey, this is when it happened, right? That's <laughs> I, exactly that. Those were the those were the MCs, man. Yeah. So, anyway, for me personally, um, I feel like it's not a matter of skin color; it's a matter of culture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had guys who were Mexican, right? In my in my school growing up, but for me, they were black. And we had white guys in my school growing up, but for me, they were black. And they got a pass from all of my friends. They could say yeah. the word. Yeah. But if they were with some other folks, no, no. No go. Yeah. And Ramon, I wonder if it's also a uh, relationship. So, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. Because because I think what was, what was happening on your trip is someone who'd been fed by media and, you know, considering the, uh, probably whatever time you were traveling, a lot of these conversations aren't happening. So the media wasn't even sensitive about how they're, they're portraying African-Americans. So this person isn't even coming from a place of relationship, like, hey, this is Ramon, this is my guy, and I feel like we're safe to go there. Yeah, yeah. This is, so this was, if you think about it, this is, again, that, that whole yeah weird thing that's been happening uh in the in the media which you know i i don't even know what you even do with that mm-hmm. because uh well I, I mean i think with the media edgar it seems like what what i'm i should say what i'm doing is that it depends on what media source you're you're um consuming because like whether it's progressive or conservative they are all they're all telling a story, you know, yeah. like just telling, just reporting yeah. facts is almost, in, it's like, it just doesn't exist very much in the U S anymore. And probably, probably in general, right? Like it's probably not just an American thing, but yeah, I mean, if you, you have certain, you have certain media sources um, that, well, I, I guess at the end of the day, they're all controlled by money. They're all about trying to sell media advertising to their constituents because they are essentially politicians they just want eyes and ears to listen exactly exactly so you you know when i think the the riots the the summer because i like it's interesting you use the word riot because there there were a lot more protests i think from what i've gathered there were a lot of more protests peaceful protests than there were riots but what dominated certain um, wings of the media were these riots. And so my dad, my dad and my mom live in Minneapolis. And so George Floyd is murdered and unrest begins building up really quickly. Cause I mean, 
like it's been interesting. Like I remember Rodney King, um, Rodney King, when he was, uh, when he was beaten on, um, on, and we watched it. I mean, Ramon, you, you remember that, right? Like it was all over. I was there and it was a riot. Yeah. 24. Yeah. But I'm saying you were, you were, you were alive. Like you were, cause Edgar's so young. He doesn't even know yeah. about these things, but he was like, <laughs> he was, yeah. Yeah. So remember when that happened, like we saw it, on like everything that um all my african american friends were like dude this is what happens like this is the but we now have video of it we have video and then mm -hmm. after that they basically all got off free right so you have massive rioting that happens in la um but in the last 10 years we've had more and more video where we get to see it with our own eyes and i'm definitely we you know i can't we can't always jump to the conclusion on anything just because of we see a clip but more and more we're now seeing like we saw george floyd's entire murder on on video so it was like it was the first time that i saw a lot of police officers joining in um peaceful protests and marching with with yeah. um people for that um to to raise awareness and to it was a moment bro because it was see like white people in Salt Lake City protesting, like yeah, that blew my mind. I was like, hey, we're we're in New Territory yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Have three brothers in Salt Lake City. <laughs> yeah, there's two. There's two. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it, so it's it's fascinating though. Like Edgar, you, you know how we when you're thinking about how the 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 riots happened, right? Because there were riots, absolutely yeah. for sure, riots. But my dad, it was interesting. My dad. Uh, texts me and I think it was on maybe the third or fourth day of Minneapolis. And I, I hadn't been, I had been off of the media. I just could not do it at that point in time anymore because I was losing my, um, I don't have faith in humanity, but I was losing my appreciation for humanity. That'd be the best way to put it. So I, my dad texted me, I was actually, um, fishing. I, I was fishing with some friends and my dad texted me. He's like, Hey, do you see what they're doing? And I was like, it was just a random text. And so I, I actually called him. I was like, what's going on? Because my dad was um, on staff working at a church that's like a block and a half away from where all of that was going down. Oh, wow. And um, so I was like, what's going on? Are you safe? And he's like, well, they're burning down the whole city. I mean, there's, uh, and I was like, what do you, I just did not know. I was, again, I was, I had gone off the grid after George Floyd. And, um, and he's like, well, all these, all these people, have come from outside of Minneapolis into this community. And I used to live right where that happened. I mean, I was in North Minneapolis um, and South Minneapolis uh, for, a, for a while. And so, um, A, I will say it was notoriously known that the police officers were, there was a lot of corrupt police there. Um, mm -hmm. And then B, um, it, you know, it's all immigrants or people of color that live in that community. But a bunch of white people showed up from who knows where and were throwing um, things through glass windows and burning things. Right. And so the real and this is the part that I, that I find really frustrating about the media is that the media, many, most, a lot of the media's narrative is that all these black people are rioting and they're burning down their own buildings and their own community. Um, and then. um and, and but in reality, it was a bunch of uh, it wasn't only white people, but there were mostly white people who were instigating this stuff from outside of the community, burning down immigrants, buildings and houses. And so I've gone, you know, I've been going back to Minneapolis every every couple of weeks to visit my dad. Um, as listeners know, my dad is diagnosed with cancer. So I've been going back and just spending time with him. And um, 
I'm, I stayed right on Lake street, right down the road from that area. And it's amazing because there are, you know, everything's still boarded up or a lot of stuff is, is still boarded up and there's signs everywhere saying, don't burn this building. Children live here. Families live here all over. And you just don't see that though. You don't, you like, it feels like very much. So what Ramon's talking about is a lot of the narrative has been angry black people burning everything down. Can't have a conversation. You know, it's just, it's unfortunate because it's not the reality. If you, there's a book called Brainwashed. Mm. um, And it basically talks about how the media is skewed uh, where the the media from all the way from like back in, like, I think that's the twenties with the birth of a nation, that movie um, with the, with the Klansmen and all that where there's these images of black people that are always resorted to, you know, big muscular, you know, beast, the Jezebel. Um, Even you look at a lot of movies, there's always like the wise black uncle or aunt, you Mm. know, white people don't know what to do. Turn to the spiritual wise black person who doesn't really have agency in the movie except to help out yeah. the white person in the movie. Right. Yeah. Morgan Freeman. Morgan, Every single yeah. movie, yes. Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. By the way, so for anybody right now, oh, I'm sorry, Edgar, uh, brainwashed the book. Uh, I just want to mention, um, I have uh, actually heard of this book by Tom Burrell. Yes. It's $1.99 on Kindle right now. I just bought it. Um, so if you get online quick enough, you can you can get that book for a buck ninety nine, and um, and I think it might be a great book to read. So go ahead, Edgar. Sorry. Uh, you know, now that we're talking about the media, and because yeah, my my last thought was, you know, what do you even do? Because these are big giants, right? So, and and right now they're digging their heels in. You know. Mm. Uh, it, it's it's sad watching what media is like in the U.S. And I know that you know what what happens in the U.S. is soon copy pasted around the world. So, so it we apologize me. for that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we apologize. Yeah. <laughs> it's not always good. Uh, and, and so I was going. Okay, what do you even do? Because we we can sit here and go. Okay, put the right narratives on 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 display. And I and I and. I don't even want to like uh, over spiritualize this, but I, you know, I because th- what 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 media folk have figured is is you know they can hack our need for entertainment, our need mm-hmm. to just be numb and, and silly, and they'll make their money, and they will tear communities apart just by you know feeding into this this the the white supremacy on one end and feeding into ex, uh, ex, extreme other stuff on the other end and and I'm just wondering if what what that says for us because I think the the opposite of just being numb and brainless and just uh being entertainment junkies is 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 some of the invitation for discipleship. Like mm. what does that even mean for, for us as church leaders? How do we, how do we invite people from, from, from a place of, yeah, church is just somewhere you show up and then you get back to your life. And 
because and I'm not saying that we all don't have blind spots, but some of the some of the rhetoric you'd hear on on media, you're just going, how do believers sit down and and parrot this back? But that's because we're not even training ourselves in in the way of Jesus. Oh yeah. Enough to say sorry when when we're wrong, or enough to to even not not have that much room for mindless entertainment because that's what mm. some of some of those shows are, mm-hmm. and, you know. So anyway, I just I, yeah. I no I, I think that's yeah no I think you're right. I think the discipleship. I mean, that, that really for a follower of Jesus, that seems to be a, a significantly you know or a primary concern for us, right? When we're thinking about all these, and I, I mean, really at the end of the day, um. I don't want to say it's only because of discipleship that conversations about ethnic diversity matter, but it's a big part of it. And yeah. it's a big part of, of being, um, in being faithful to scripture and to being faithful to the God who created Sudanese people and Latinos and people in Europe. And, you know, I, like all people have been created in the image of God. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to, to um, like, I don't know. It's almost, it feels like, um, gosh, hearing you guys talk about um, the influence of colonialism or white supremacy, colonialism slash white supremacy is so deeply um, offensive to God. I, I really do believe that. I think it's offensive to God um, because what it does is it it puts one skin color or one people group above the others. And so it's like right now we're, I think, maybe the visual age, it's like, we're trying to pull that down, you know, like that there's not a supremacy in ethnicity or color. And then at the same time too, trying to raise people up who have been, who have been significantly uh, overlooked and marginalized. And, and I think that's discipleship. That is, that is a part of what discipleship is about is trying to help people understand who they are, you know, who like your identity, what is your real identity? And, and, yeah, and so I think what you're getting at, Edgar, um, about discipleship is really very compelling, very important. Be, uh, and what, it's interesting, like white white folk, um, a lot of white folk, <laughs> I can generalize, I'm white. A lot of white folk, though. Before you go uh, to that news, because, you know, uh, and it's not so much, and I'm not even saying that let's get out of the world, let's not watch CNN, let's not watch Fox News. Yeah. How can we spend so much time in the truth mm. that that recognize. even yes. the world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That, and that's, that actually goes to what I was going to say is, is, okay, so there's a whole group of, um, uh, I, I'm sp- speaking specifically in theological traditions. And so one particular theological tradition amongst a couple of different theological traditions are really, have been for a while exploring liturgy and the way that worship doxologies and liturgies shape us, right? So we've been exposed to the idea that the world we live in is not neutral. And, you know, Edgar, you and I talked at length in our last, uh, in the last podcast about how formation's happening, right? Like we are being shaped, we are being formed. And it's not a matter of, of whether you are or not, you are. And so the question becomes, what are you being shaped by and who are you being shaped two yeah. or four. And, and what you're saying, I think is really imp- important is that I, I lost a lot of hope um, about pastoring quite frankly, in the last uh, four years in America, in American culture, because 
I and I and I mean this indictment for both the extreme right and the extreme left because for me oftentimes they are one in the same in the way that they do life in the way that they interact in the way that they do their ideological um you know evangelism but I, I, it's it, it's like I cannot compete with CNN or Fox News um, yes. Because if the average listener of those media sources is consuming that on, I'm going to say, because um, there are numerous studies that have indicated that it's a lot of time. But like, I'm going to lowball and say, let's just say they're doing an hour, maybe two. That means that for seven days a week. Yeah, that means for seven days a week, it's anywhere from seven to 14 hours of media consumption that is shaping and forming them. And here I come along on a Sunday morning with a 35 minute sermon. At, and that's, you know, including ministry time, you know, and then we also have about 20 minutes of music. We've got an hour and, and 20 minutes that we are we are hoping to shape and form the average American Christian in comparison to the other sources that are shaping them. And that's why we have the problem we have. You know, that that is a significant or I should say that's a significant reason why we are not winning the battle. And that man, you just like brought so much with just that one statement. Because I work for, like, my job is basically I'm I'm uh, I work for a member I'm a employee of the largest African American Christian publisher, mm-hmm. and the only reason why we exist, the main reason why we exist, is to tear down these false narratives. Mm-hmm. So, so people get you know the faces of you know the biblical characters that look like them. Yeah. So they get the stories that relate to, you know, their current situation. Mm-hmm. But get that stuff. I'd like it for my community too. Hey, we can talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the stories um, that we're putting out, like they're only getting them on Sunday, but we realize like it has to be. I mean, if the devil is at work, you know, Monday, Tuesday. Mm. Like we need to do that work. And so for me, like that, that like what you just said seems to be like we need to rework what it means to pastor. Yeah. Mm. What it means to actually disciple. Like yeah. we think it as, hey, come to this meeting on Sunday or come to this other meeting, a small group. But when you look at how Jesus changed these 12 men, it was like I see you every day. Mm-hmm. I see you in the good and the bad. Like, I don't know of any church or any kind of ecclesiology that even allows for that. Because we've we've grown up and most American denominations are influenced by Luther and elevating the the preached word. Mm -hmm. The preached word is great. Jesus preached the word, right? Mm -hmm. But he preached the word with 12 dudes hanging around him like all the time. Yeah. And, And you know, that that just got me thinking. I I I feel that the people I have impacted mostly are the ones that are always around me. Mm-hmm. I get good text messages sometimes, bad emails from time to time, but the ones that 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 I that I I've heard them say, and I can also say, "Hey, you've grown." I. I see them every day 
I eat with them. You know, they we've had terrible arguments. We're just friends. We're just doing life. And then once upon a time, well, that's a weird word. Anyway, so so anyway, so <laughs> then one morning they wake up and they go, oh, by the way, I just figured out something. And you're going, no, I've been telling you this forever. Yeah. It, it, it happens in the in the it, in the contact every every day contact, which you know, 2020. One thing I really liked, you know. Churches shut down. We we people went home, and for the first two months, we, at, at Trinity, we tried to invite parents to hey do church as a family. You know, mm-hmm. you, you're now their pastor, and and so I'm just thinking some of you know some of these narratives have to very importantly be broken down <laughs> by powerful public figures who have the platform, and mm-hmm. and. And that that fight has to happen both at the public platform and at the altar at home. Uh, yeah. It's it's why my mom's voice was impactful because mm. she was with me every day. She yeah. was the one who directly spoke into my life before some some strange feminist stands up and says, you know, women's name are women's names are not bad or something like that you know so it it should happen both on the public platform and and on 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 the altar at home and and i i i think because we're talking about how luke you just gave the example of if someone's watching cnn all that time you know, there's 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 bits of it that has to happen at the church, the 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 gathering of believers, and then there's bits of it that that the family has to commit itself to, mm. or or the small group. You know, it's no wonder, you know, as as Ramon puts it, Jesus has had twelve friends who he pretty much lived with. We mm. have no idea what stories of Jesus they had that that mm-hmm. were left. You know, that didn't make mm-hmm. it. Well, I, I mean, I, I think that's uh, true, right? Like John, yeah. at the end of John's gospel, it says that he did way, like this book contains. Yeah, just uh, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And so, so the family group and just a small group of friends, the ones that you get, you get tired of sometimes. That's where real transformation happens. Yeah. Mm. Um, otherwise, and- it becomes just a big political conversation and then we we walk away we do church for 2 hours and then we listen to our ends of the thing without any discipleship or transformation happening mm. I, I think like just what Luke what you were saying is like we're all living out a narrative um whether that's you know QAnon whether that's you know the extreme left whether that's a vineyard narrative whether that's a baptist narrative Mm-hmm. Like, ever, like I, I remember growing up and one of my friends, he um, looked at, you know, back then, what, that was what, the 90s when all of these like gangster movies were out, Boys in the mm-hmm. Hood, Menace to Society. Yeah, society, yeah. yeah. He patterned himself after Old Dog and Menace to Society. And I was like, mm. all of his actions, I'm like, this is not you. Yeah. You're patterning yourself after this fictional gangster. You know, and, and it yeah. ended up, I mean, he, he ended up going to jail. Like, he basically lived that life because of the narrative that he was living out. And so mm. what if we 
immerse ourselves and help others to immerse themselves in a different narrative. Like mm-hmm. what kind of conversations will we be having? Um, what kind of, you know, what kind of Christian politics will be out on display versus what we saw, you know, you know, on January 6th, you know, the, those folks were immersed in a certain narrative, like what you talked about with, you know, listening to a certain type of media. And I've, I've encountered folks, people that I've known for years. And it's like, wait a minute, that doesn't even sound like you. It sounds like just a bunch of sound bites. Yeah. Sounds like Bill O'Reilly or Sean Hannity yeah, or yeah, 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 exactly. Rachel Maddow or whoever. <laughs> yeah, whoever. I think you, you alluded to it. You, you alluded to it earlier. The whole, uh, you know, how we're formed, you know, that James K.A. Smith, mm-hmm. you know, that that stuff. Like back in, you know, 1700s, 1800s, people got formed because people got formed accidentally because, you know, the culture, you know, you had crosses everywhere. And, you mm-hmm. know, it was basically the Christian culture. But now we don't have that. Mm-hmm. You know? So we have to be way more intentional yeah. in people's minds and that spiritual formation kind of happened accidentally for folks. And mm-hmm. even I would say, even for me, like I grew up in church, folks had me memorizing the Bible. Like I was memorizing scripture, like just because, not because I was, you know, really wanting to live it. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. you had to do it. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I remember even like, I think I was like 15 or 16. They had me get up and like preach. And it's like, I don't even believe this stuff. <laughs> it's like, but you know, you're part of the youth program. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that kind of stuff that is not necessarily happening everywhere. And then you got TV, which is totally anti-God. You got, you know, even the folks that are saying they're for God, kind of mixing God with politics and getting it all skewed up. So all of these different forces are coming to play on the life of the average member of a congregation. Mm. I mean, you even bring in the whole white supremacist narrative, like all of these things are influencing people, but we only get two hours on Sunday. And it's like, yeah. that's going to cut it. Yep. Yeah. I, there, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I interviewed uh, Winfield Bevins, uh, for a podcast, and I think it'll be coming out sometime in March. Um, Who's that? Winfield Bevins is I just love a that, name. that just sounds important. Like it, <laughs> it is. It is a dope name. Winfield is a um, is the director of church planning. I believe. I think that is his title at Asbury Seminary. Oh. Um, he he has a demon, and I think he's working on finishing up his PhD. He's an Anglican priest. He's planted Anglican churches, but he's very at home in the vineyard world. Like he's actually the sacramental charismatic would be exactly what he is. Like when I think about somebody asked recently on a vineyard uh, Facebook post, where would you go if you weren't vineyard? And I was like, Anglican, like I had, (laughs) I knew exactly where I go. And uh, so he's like this charismatic liturgical, you know, church planning missional guy. Um, And so anyway, he's written a lot of, books, um, looking to see the intersection of all these different streams coming together. So, I mean, like, it's very much like I, I would say I checked the box on almost everything he says. And he has a book on the Book of Common Prayer. And it, it's interesting because um, the Book of Common Prayer is the Anglican, you know, uh, prayer manual, liturgical 
manual. It's got the daily office, so daily uh, scripture reading. It's got the lectionary for Sunday. And it's interesting because he wrote a book on, on the history of it. And it's kind of like a reader's guide to the Book of Common Prayer if you're new to the Book of Common Prayer. And I've been thinking a lot about the Book of Common Prayer um, because what I love about it is I love that it is a global document now. You know, it's becoming more and more global. Um, there's more and more Anglican churches all over the world. Um, you know, Africa has, we were talking about this earlier. I think Africa, the African uh, Anglican churches have in many ways kept North America on the straightened path of orthodoxy <laughs> would be the best way to put it. And so the Book of Common Prayer was originally developed, though, to bring prayer and scripture into the home. Like that yeah. was the in, the entire point of its formation was to yeah. do that. And that's how we use it in my home. I, I, I use it every day. Yeah. Um, so I'd be curious, Ramon, if is there amongst, um, you know, there's a PBS um, show right now, a documentary on the black church. There are a lot of different um, African-American denominations in the u.s um is from what you know, from your experience in the black uh, church uh, publishing world are there are there similar documents to the book of common prayer like catech catechesis formation discipleship manuals that you are aware of so so there's different like you said there's different black denominations um from what i know there's nothing that's universal um, mm -hmm. For us, um, as as a publisher, we have stuck to a set of like a scope and sequence that, you know, all the black denominations are on. If they're using our products, then, you know, if they're doing Bible study on Sunday or whenever, everybody's reading out of the same book in the same subject matter, the same mm -hmm. script. Um, but I don't know of anything that's as universal as the Book of Common Prayer. Um, that's, I mean, a lot of that is just, you know, there's only so many liturgical type churches. Like you got, um, the AME, CME folks, mm -hmm. um, for, for most of the African-American churches, the black denominations, um, are Baptist, which mm -hmm. you just say the name Baptist. There's nothing universal about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Pentecostal Baptist. There's, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Then, you know, you got the Baptist, you got. And then you got the Pentecostals. Um, the mm. one thing you can say, though, if you look at black religion in general, black church, black Christianity, um, and I think this is true for Africa as well. There's a charismatic influence regardless of the denomination. That's right. So, That's right. Go to a Baptist black church. And you're like, wait a minute. Am I in a Pentecostal? Like, what's going on yeah. here? Because of some of the shapes and forms. In Africa, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. I, 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 Presbyterian church in Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Africa. No, for sure. Yeah, that's, that's right. Besides like, demons. <laughs> yeah, Edgar. Uh, when I was with you uh, in we we did the uh, the Vineyard Conference. Did you meet my friend Dennis? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So I've I have this friend uh, Ramon who I I met ten years ago. Um, he, he's just a dear, dear, dear friend now. Um, just love him to death. And he was pastoring a Presbyterian church and he would have, I think he would have said he was a cessationist. Like if you asked him, he would be like, yes, the, I, 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 this is my seminary training, <laughs> but he wasn't. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and it was interesting. He experienced a healing, like his, his wife and him weren't able to have a child. 
And uh, he, he, I didn't even know this story. This is an amazing story. Uh, like, you know how when, you, when you're involved in, in seeing the kingdom come and you're like, yeah. what? Because he, he came to this other conference I was doing that and he was like, hey, last time you were here, you prayed for my wife and I to have kids and we got pregnant like, you know, the next it, but the way he said it was like you got you got my wife pregnant or it was just like wait a minute who did the Ramon I was just going to point out something you said earlier you, when you gave your story of how they didn't tell you to speak when you're 16 and you're like I don't even know that I don't even know if I believe in this stuff and I'm just you know thinking about where this conversation is at. Uh, I find it, I've always found it interesting that one of the things Jesus kept saying is follow me. It's like, do I even believe he's the Christ? Well, you follow me. You know, do I even understand what he's saying? Well, you follow me. They, there is something about discipleship that that is um, a, about repetition, the discipline of repetition and just soaking yourself yeah. uh, in stuff. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of like... Uh, one of the things I I'm thinking about as 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 a pastor is uh, is is how do I get my people aware that they can spend time around the the Word of God um, and and in you know and in telling the story right you know uh, so you mentioned like the Book of Common Prayer how do we get these things back into the home so that the uh, that our people are God's people are constantly following him, not just on Sunday. How do we get, you know, some some of the stuff that, that your publishing company is working with in the home so that this is mm. a bit of the bedtime stories that the kids will read when 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 they're going home? Well, is it is it like a good Superman story? Well, you they don't know yet whether they believe it they don't know yet whether it's fairy tale but guess what they are being practiced in this and and also being practiced in you know as part of the conversation we're having in the right stories about about who who they are in god's eyes and you know for for african american kids for uh, african kids if they're being practiced in who they really are and who other people are constantly it, you know, it won't be done in one history lesson. It has to be part of the discipleship. Well, you follow me. Do I believe it yet? Well, let's just keep going, you know? Um, so. No, that's great. I, I think it'd be really um, beneficial to have some resources like that. You know, I, I love what Ramon, you were saying how all, all of the African-American churches that are using your publishing company's work is they're they're being shaped and formed um, in similar ways uh, by scripture and by prayer and you know the different things that happen. That's that's really exciting. And that, that's kind of like uh, I love the book Common Prayer. That's that's for me become mine. And I and I think it's safe to say it's no longer. It can't really be seen as just a white thing because there's a lot of people yeah. of color and global people who are using it. And that's what I love about it too. But I also know that it's this thick. And uh, I, every time I give it to people, I have to walk them through what it actually is. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems like it'd be helpful to maybe do do some uh, some repackaging on that. All right, guys. Uh, we're – what's that? Sorry, Ramon. What was that? Video on that. Yeah. 
It's true. You should do that. Uh, <laughs> I want to do it so I can understand the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, yeah, I, I really do need to because I've I've had that. I bought uh, copies for all of our music team leader people, worship leaders, and because uh, we're utilizing more of it. And I had to do a full on like, okay, so here's what this is. Here's what that is. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, hey, guys, um, this has been a really very fun conversation. Um, I think we need to keep doing stuff like this, too, on a somewhat regular basis, um, because I feel like this has been really helpful just to think about the the different challenges, the different issues that we're facing. But at the same time, too, like the common issues that we're all experiencing in our churches, no matter Like, it's amazing to me, by the way, that Ramon, you're in Illinois. Uh, There's snow in your window. It looks terrible and demonic, um, but you're you're there. And Edgar, you're in Kenya, and I'm in California, and we're able to have this conversation. Like, technology is so crazy cool sometimes. Yeah. That's one of those moments. Um, But, hey, let's – so, anyway, we're going to wrap up now. But I'd love to – last question. Um, Ramon, like – Great idea. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Marvel or DC? All all day long? All day long. Okay, why? Because DC is just weak. The only thing they could do is like add more like <laughs> violence and sex to stuff. They have no good story. <laughs> you were you were like, you actually have a really thought out answer to that. You're like, cuz I here's all my reasons. Yeah. <laughs> He was waiting for this part of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. He's like, uh. all right. So, uh, who's your favorite Marvel character? My favorite Sorry? character is Doctor Strange. Yeah, Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. he's legit. I liked. Uh, I thought the film was fantastic too. Yeah, yeah. I- Except for, I will say, I, I wasn't a fan of uh, them not using Tibetan monk because Marvel cow toed to the powers of China and would not actually <laughs> keep it in story. That that was disappointing to me. But I mean, what you gonna do? Yeah, money. <laughs> so okay, so you're a Marvel guy. You're a Marvel guy. Okay, uh, Edgar. Same question. No, uh, where is the Flash in which universe? Oh. <laughs> 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 okay, the, the, you know when Ramon said all that terrible stuff about DC, I was like, okay, be careful, possible. <laughs> <laughs> declare. Okay, we won't hold it against you. Yeah, you, Edgar, you watch those shows just to understand what people in your church are are watching, so that way you can better pastor them. That's terrible. You go down that line, <laughs> and then you watch this. I no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I just yeah. I was just talking about your consumption of DC. All so right. you know, the thing is, I think I think for me, just any superstar movie, I'm with it. Like, just skip intro. Let's get to the stuff. Yeah. 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 I I I loved. Uh, I'm a I'm a Marvel guy. I'm with Ramon. Uh, not <laughs> I I don't hate Wonder Woman. Um, the first one, the first, <laughs> the first Wonder Woman was pretty cool. The last Wonder Woman that came out on Christmas Day was terrible, and I was Ooh. so disappointed that I w- felt like I was I was just angry. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna be that guy. I'm gonna say, man, I love Black Panther. Uh, I thought that movie was, I mean, I don't know, 
that and also um, Captain Marvel. I, and the reason why I loved um, Captain Marvel was because all the really conservative uh, white complementarians hated it. <laughs> so, I, oh, dude, there were like so many articles. Yeah. I, I still follow a lot of those people on Twitter. And so they full on, you know. What was the issue? Because well, she's a woman, first of all, and she had power. And that doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. That's um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think Black Panther, and I, I shared this. Um, I shared this with, I think, with Reese. I was saying how you know one of the things I loved about Black Panther too, or Black Panther as well, was I just loved that um, my six-year-old son, like, had had uh, this uh, icon to look up to. You know, this this uh, character to look up to that he just was like, he's the coolest guy ever. And so he went to for Halloween. My white kid was jump uh, was dressed up like uh, was was dressed up like Black Panther for two for two Halloweens in a row. He's like, it was good last year. I'm doing it again. You know, like I just I I love that. So hey guys, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the, it was. It's like it is cool to see that. Um, all right, guys. So thank you so much for being a part of it. Uh, Edgar, you're going to be going to bed pretty quick here. I'm assuming it's pretty late at your, at your, uh, at your house. I'm, I'm about time. Is it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. 930. 930. Yeah. Well, say hi to your housemates, uh, for me. I, I was just thinking about them the other day and Ramon, uh, thanks again, uh, for your time too, guys. I appreciate your your uh, your thoughts and your influence in my life and just god bless both of you guys uh ramon would you uh would you sign us out what do you mean sign us out how, how do i, I know out? you have to like you have to say something like keep it classy san diego or you know <laughs> but i think it should be like wu-tang forever wu-tang wu-tang for the children W-V-I-D, Luke in the morning. Yeah, that's how we talk about that. That's a good recording. Anyway. I like that. That's right. That's good. B-Y-D, it's like the vineyard, B-Y-D. Oh, Lord. We should not be allowed to be on podcasts together. Hey, guys. Thanks, man. Uh, all for all you listeners, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we'll I'll, we'll be back. I'm sure uh, more podcasts coming out. Recorded a podcast yesterday with Melody, uh, a pastor, a female co-lead pastor of a vineyard church in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, that'll be coming out uh, this next week, the first of March. And then, like I said, Winfield Bevins is going to come out in about a week as well. And I got a lot of stuff planned for March with different biblical scholars and theologians and i'm sure i'm going to try to beg ramon and edgar to be on more episodes because we know how much we all love hearing from them god bless all of you thanks for listening subscribe like share yada 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 Oh,